0: The following sermon is from the United Church of Tishomingo. Thank you, Dustin. Um, I know that that's got to bless you like it does me. Uh, It's just a great way to start off our services on Sunday morning. I got, before we begin this morning, I want to say two things. I've been noticing some stuff as I watch people do a lot of stuff online. We're learning just like you all are. But um, before before I begin, those of you guys that are timing me, uh, wait, cause this isn't part of it. And I know some of you are out there going, what's he talking about? I actually have people who time me to tell me how long I go. Cause I do everything I can to keep these at 30 minutes or less, but I have people who actually will time me and tell me what I did. Don't you guys wish you had friends like that? Everybody needs friends. So those of you guys with your stopwatch, wait just a second. Um, I want to say that, uh, the way we have our little studio set up here, I noticed a lot of people when they do live, I got a friend, a good friend, um, Uh, My brother Don Hyde from down there in Calera, the police chief, he does a wellness check every day. And I noticed last night he's always acknowledging everybody in the comments and and speaking to the people. And uh, I appreciate that you do that, Don. That's pretty cool. The way this is set up, I can't see him and I can't do that. But I want to let you know that we really appreciate your comments. And when this is over, I look at all of them and I take them into account. And we respond to them. So your, your, your comments are welcome and, and a blessing to us. I just can't see them and acknowledge them the way that it's set up here. So just wanted to let you know that. And also today's sermon is actually a two-part sermon. To keep it under 30 minutes, I'm going to do the first part this week and, and the, next, the second part next week. So those of you with your stopwatch, you can go ahead and start now and we'll begin uh, today's service. I appreciate you guys being here with us today. If you were here last week, which was Easter Sunday, you know that we celebrated uh, Easter, a day in which Christians praise God for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because that means that he who was perfect and without sin paid the debt for our sins, which is death, which was a debt we couldn't pay. And then through his resurrection, he literally conquered sin and eternal death forever, And that is indeed what the Christians call the good news. But I've noticed that in this world, more often than not, what happens these days is that people praise him for Easter and there's this big celebration. Then when it's over, most people just kind of go back to living life as normal and not much really changes. But that's not why Jesus did what he did. Jesus did not pay the penalty for our sins And die in our place so that we could kind of just go back living our everyday lives like we used to live. But Jesus died for our sins and rose again to conquer sin. So that we too might overcome sin in our lives. And now live as a new and different person than what we used to live like before. That's what it means to be saved. You know, sometimes we get way ahead of ourselves and a lot of people don't understand the basics that to be saved means literally to be rescued to be saved from our old sinful lives, to live a new, holy, godly life. And the only way that can happen is that the one who conquered sin and death must come to live and dwell in us. So that by his power, then we can conquer sin and eternal death. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, if any man is in Christ, if Christ is coming to you, he's a new creation and the old is passed away and everything's been made new. And my question today is this, after Easter last week, did Easter, did the power of, res, of the resurrection of Christ, did that really have an effect in you? Or was it just another holiday? Was it just a day for Easter egg hunts and chocolate bunnies and you know that's that's already been forgotten until next year? What did Easter really do for you? Has it really changed your life? And I think that by now, some of you might be thinking, after hearing the sermons of the pastor John, Why do you kind of say this same thing every week? We get it. I pray that you do. But I say this every week because I'm convinced the majority of the world and a lot of my friends don't really get this. If people got this, this world wouldn't be living like we are. We wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. The great majority of this world really thinks that as long as you just believe there's a God or as long as you kind of practice some religion somewhere and if you are a nice person, And if you're really sincere, God's just going to one day go, well, you know, you were a pretty nice person and you were really sincere. So come on in, we got a place for you. And nothing can be farther from the truth. The scripture clearly teaches as we're going to study here a little bit, that's not true. There are a tremendous amount of people in this world right now who are lost, who actually really sincerely think they're okay with God because they're a pretty good person. You know, they've never done anything too horrible, you know. And they're really sincere and they're nice. And so them and God, you know, they're okay. You know, we got our own little agreement, but that's not how this works. Jesus did not deny himself every day of his life and suffer the pain and the agony and the brutality of the cross and the literal hell he went through to pay the price of sin and then rise from the grave so that we could just kind of, you know, be a decent person, and live however we see fit. And Jesus said, if you have that attitude, if that's what you believe, you'll never see God. Now, I want to show you the proof text today. If you'll turn with me, or probably most of you are just listening, but I want to read in John chapter three, verses one through seven. Would you hear what this says? This is Jesus. It says, there was a man. He was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He he was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, which just means teacher, we know that you have come from God and you, uh, uh, as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, watch this, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be, excuse me, do not marvel that I said you must be born again. Now the key is verse five, look. He said, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now watch, what Jesus is saying here is this. To be born of water just means our regular human birth. You know how a woman's water breaks when it comes time for a baby to be born. And it is water that helps sustain our physical lives on this planet. So to be born of water is just a reference of our natural human birth and our subsequent life. But now notice he said that if we wanna enter the kingdom of God, we must also be born again of the spirit, which means a spiritual rebirth. Only this time, this spiritual birth is where God gives us a new spirit by giving us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. So now our spirit through God has been reborn so that we are no longer the person we used to be. Remember, the old's passed away who used to be under the control of sin. And if that new birth does not happen, Jesus himself said that we will not enter the kingdom of God. So now the question becomes, well, if that's really the case, if that's the only way, how does that happen? I want you to go back with me to a verse I've mentioned every week, Acts 2.38, but I want to give a little more background this time. In Acts 2.38, we are to the point where Jesus has come, conquered sin and death. He's risen from the grave. He stayed on earth 40 days. He met with his disciples. He appeared to many other people, and then he ascended into heaven, and he said, I want you to wait. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. So we're here in Acts now on the day it's called Pentecost. Jesus sent this Holy Spirit to come and live in those who would receive him and make them a new creature. So the Holy Spirit comes, and the uh, apostles are in Jerusalem, and there are over a million people there. And God brings all these people together and Peter preaches this sermon. And basically what he says is, you all have sinned, you killed Jesus, you've crucified him, you need to be saved or you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, you've done this horrible thing. And so the Bible says they were cut to their heart and they came to Peter and said, what do we do? And so Acts 2.38, Peter says, you must repent, be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. And so repent means you must be willing to put your old life away, to crucify it, to be baptized. Now watch carefully. Baptism, water baptism by a pastor like myself is just a picture that's representing you saying, I'm gonna allow God to put my old man to death. And so God has to do it. I'm just the physical agent that shows the picture. But when a pastor baptizes somebody, that's a picture of you saying, my old man is dead. I'm going to the grave. You're actually being buried. And then when he brings you back up out of the water, that's a picture that Jesus Christ has raised you up to be a new creature. But the only way that can be happen is, that can happen is, you have to receive his Holy Spirit. And you cannot receive the Holy Spirit if your sinful nature has not been put to death by God. That's why it says in Romans 6:3. do you not know that if you've been baptized into Jesus, you have been baptized into his death. You must be willing to allow God to crucify you so that he can make you new. And what you don't realize, or a lot of people don't realize, God's not gonna violate your free will. He's not gonna force you to do this. And only God knows if you really meant that in your heart or not. But if you have no intention of repenting, if you just wanna live your own life and you just wanna get baptized kind of to cover all your bases and make sure you got it covered, all baptism does is get you wet. You must be willing to allow God to literally put your old life to death and he now rules, you no longer rule your own life. Then you receive his Holy Spirit, which is what that means when it says you must be born again of the Spirit, you have to receive a new Spirit in John 3, 5. Now watch, this is critical that you get this. Please bear with me. I don't know if how many of you remember last week, but I said something that received a lot of comments that happens a lot privately. Last week I said that true salvation is not free. But it costs Jesus his very life, and it's going to cost you your life. And a few people commented and rightly so. Well, Romans 6.23 says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So what are you saying, preacher? Okay, here's exactly what I'm saying. Because it's exactly what the Bible means in Romans 6.23 when you take this concept in its entire context. Watch. Salvation is a free gift of God only in respect to the fact that a person cannot earn it. Remember, a sinful person, can not that's you and me, we can never do enough good things to pay for our sins. You can't earn God's salvation. Only Jesus could pay for your sins and earn it for us, but then he offers it to us as a gift. But here's the rub, I'm gonna say it twice. While salvation is a gift from God that cannot be earned, It still must be received. Salvation is a free gift from God that cannot be earned, but it must be received. Remember, God is not going to force Himself on anyone. Salvation is a gift that must be received. And this gift of new life cannot be received by an old person, by your old fleshly body. That old sinful life has to be crucified with Jesus before you can receive this new life and salvation. And if you're not willing to put your old life to death, then you cannot receive God's spirit of new life. You have to willfully receive it. I wanna show you exactly where Jesus said this in scripture. Turn to Mark, or just listen to the scripture, but Mark chapter two, verse 22. Jesus is talking about this. This is in the context of salvation. And he says, Mark 2, 22, quote, look, he says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins are ruined, and it it all runs out. He says you must put new wine into new wineskins, Mark 2.22. Now, please stay with me. What Jesus is saying is in this verse, it was a common illustration to those people in that day that they would understand to explain to what's necessary to receive salvation. Watch, in those days, Jesus would refer to wine as the fruit of the spirit, excuse me, the fruit of the vine. He called wine the fruit of the vine. Now we all know that wine comes from grapes that grow on a vine. And in biblical terms, fruit is a picture Or the evidence that something is alive and what that something is. If something is not bearing fruit, we don't know if it's alive and we may not even know what it is. Let me give you an illustration that you'll understand. I'm a biologist and I am an outdoorsman and I'm pretty good at identifying plants and animals and trees. I love doing that. But I'm going to tell you, if you took me to a great big fruit orchard somewhere, say in Florida, in the middle of the winter, and everything was dead, I mean, there was no leaves, no nothing, I'm gonna be honest with you, I might have a hard time identifying, well, that's an apple or that's a pear or that's a this or that, you know, all the different kinds that there are. But when springtime arrives and that sap or that life runs through that tree and pops out in leaves and fruit, you don't have to be much of a genius to go, that's an apple tree, that's a that's a pear tree, that's an orange tree, because the fruit is the evidence of what life is inside that tree. So in the Bible, Jesus uses the example of wine as a metaphor for life. Now, here's what he's saying. This new wine, this new life cannot be received in old containers. You have to have a suitable container to receive this new life. Now, Jesus used the illustration of wine and wineskins because in those days, that's how they carried wine. And everyone understood clearly what he was referring to. But we don't use wineskins these days, so I'm going to give you an illustration that I think will make a lot of sense to you. I've shared with you before, where Jeannie and I do a lot of our work, our mission work in Africa, we go to Ghana, West Africa. And Ghana you know, has some major cities, but man, there are some places out, they call it the bush in the jungle, that I mean are the jungle. And they surround a huge lake there called Lake Volta. And these tribes or these villages are literally separated from everything. I mean, a lot of them have no clue about anything in society. I mean, they live out there and it's just horrible conditions and it's nasty conditions and they don't have a lot of food and they don't have clean water and all these things. So what a lot of people do, I've got some dear friends that have spent many years, they'll go over there and they'll pick one of those kind of centrally located villages and they'll dig a water well. And that water well will go way, way down into the ground and bring out fresh water. And man, that fresh water is life. I mean, you got all this nasty, dirty, disease stuff around. And when they put a well in there, you just can't imagine how excited those people are. And people will come from miles around, they'll walk miles and miles to get some of this life giving, new, fresh, clean water. Now, watch this carefully it's free. But for them to benefit from this, they have to have the proper container to carry it in. These people walk miles to get it, and most of them will use these five-gallon plastic containers. They look like kind of like the old gas cans, and maybe some of them were. But I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine somebody showing up with an old grocery sack. You know, like you get at Aldi's? It's got the two handles on it, it's old paper, grocery sack. And you stick that paper grocery sack under the spigot and f- try to fill it up with water, what's gonna happen? The water's gonna tear through that bottom of that sack in a matter of seconds. It's gonna spill all over the ground, it's gonna be wasted, and it's not gonna benefit anyone. Those people are not gonna be able to use that water. That's a picture of what Jesus is teaching here. Salvation is free when it comes to the fact that you can't work hard enough to earn it, but when it comes to receiving this gift, it can only be received when your old container, your old life has been put away and you have a new spirit that only God can provide you so that you can receive and actually benefit from it. Now that leads me to the next critical point. I know I ask this a lot, but I'm really gonna ask you to focus here. That is, how do you know then that someone has really been born again and how how do you know that they've really been saved? Because there are a lot of people these days claiming to be Christians who actually live lifestyles that are anything but Christian. So what does the Bible say will be a mark or evidence that someone has really been born again. You know, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul literally says, you need to check yourself and see if you really are of the family of God. That's what it says. And that's what we're going to do here. We're going to check and see how can you know. We could talk about a lot of things, but I'm only going to mention two. And today I'm only going to do one. Don't have time for the second one because I'm going to keep this in a lot of time because these two things are the most important things that mark the life of a true born-again Christian. So the first one, the only one we're gonna do today is this. If you turn with me or listen, I'm gonna go to 2 Peter chapter one. 2 Peter one, and I wanna read verses 20 and 21. Would you listen what this says? But know this first of all, Peter says, guys, this is of first importance, that no prophecy of scripture, nothing written in scripture Is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit, uh, moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now watch. What that says is this. This passage teaches us that while the Bible was written with physical ink by physical men, it was God himself who spoke through his Holy Spirit and literally moved the minds and the hands of these men to write what God wanted written. Now listen guys, this is the, this is the rub in the world right now. The Bible is not some concoction of man. The Bible is the Holy Word of God breathed out by his Holy Spirit and every word of the Bible is true and eternal. Hebrews 13, seven says, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Every word of the Bible is just as true today as it was when the ink was still wet on the parchment. The Bible does not change with the times. Man did not write the Bible to govern only a certain culture or a certain time in history, like some people mistakenly say. God wrote the Bible to govern man's heart which will always remain the same throughout history. And what this Bible says is right is still right. And what the Bible says is wrong is still wrong. And societies can change and customs can change and the world can change, but God who is spirit and transcends all these things never changes and his word does not change. Now here's what that means. Watch this. If the Holy Spirit of God who wrote this Bible, is taught here, If the Holy Spirit of God who wrote the Bible comes to dwell in you in the work of salvation, then he's going to bring you into agreement with the word that he wrote. You cannot claim to be a Christian, a person indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and say that you don't believe certain parts of his word or they don't apply to you. God is not going to come dwell in you and then tell you that it's okay to disobey the word he wrote. That's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. If the spirit of God dwells in you, then you are going to agree that the word of God is true. For example, you're gonna agree that the only acceptable practice of marriage is marriage described by God in the Bible as a man and a woman together for life. And you're gonna agree that the only acceptable sexual relationship that is described in scripture is that of a man and a woman within the bounds of biblical marriage. God wrote that down in Genesis 2, Jesus reaffirmed that in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Look it up. The apostle Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, wrote it down in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. If the Spirit of God who wrote the Bible comes to dwell in you, he is going to change your life to line up with the Bible, not let you disobey parts of the Bible if they don't fit your lifestyle. That's what I was talking about when I said a while ago, you got to let God crucify your old man and your old beliefs and your old practices. That is one of the very first evidences that a person has been crucified in their old life and has truly been born again by the Spirit of God coming to indwell them. That is, the Holy Spirit of God will bring you into agreement with the word that he wrote. It would be silly to think otherwise. Now stay with me because I've got one more very important point to make. Here's where we are today. You know that Satan hates God And he hates the word of God. Because even Satan knows that if someone ever really falls under the teaching and the conviction of this word written by God, that he's going to turn their back. They're going to turn their back on their old life that used to be ruled by Satan. And they will repent and start to follow God. And Satan hates God. And he hates it when anybody turns from following him and starts to follow God. So Satan hates the word of God. And I want to show you something that the scripture teaches. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter two, verses one and two. Paul writes something very critical. Look what he says. He says, you, he's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. He said, you were, you used to be dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now still working in the sons of disobedience. Now watch carefully. Here's what Paul is teaching here in verse two. He calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. And what that phrase means is this, the prince of the power of the air, is that Satan has some power in this present world. A lot of people don't realize that, but he does. The Bible teaches that Satan has some influence over people. And here's how it works. The only power that Satan has been given for a time is to influence the thoughts of men. And when those evil, tempting thoughts come, you got two choices. You can reject that as wrong, or you can give in to it and sin. And so that term, the prince of the power of the air, means that Satan has the ability, by influencing those who would listen to him, to control what we would call conventional wisdom, or the popular thought of the day or the general attitude of a society towards something. For example, here's an example. The idea that somehow killing a baby, an unborn child in its mother's womb, is not only acceptable, but it's a right. The fact that that is the accepted thought of our society in America these days is an example of Satan controlling the air. He controls the attitudes of society because no way God's going to say, kill what I just created. Thus, the term prince, which in the Bible, prince means ruler. He's the ruler of the power of the air, of popular thought in society. The one who influences popular opinions of people who do not know or believe the word of God. And so look at it again. He says, you used to be this way. Watch this. And when you were walking under him, you were dead. That's him, not me. He says, but now you're not. But look what it says. He says, there are still some people who are under this influence. So there are some that used to be controlled by the beliefs of this world, and they were influenced by Satan, but they got saved, and they no longer walk like they used to. They don't practice their old sinful lifestyle. But this prince of the power of the air, trust me, is alive and well in this world in those who are disobedient. And that's why if a person who has been born again and is now indwelt by the spirit of God, watch this, and if their life now matches up with the truth of God's word and they dare to speak to an unbelieving world that's controlled by the prince of the power of the air who hates God, if they dare speak what God's word says about being sinful, they're gonna be called a hater. They're gonna be called bigots. They're gonna be called judgmental because that's the power of the air Hating God's Word. And you're going to be called a this and a that Because Satan hates the Word of God. And those under his influence are also going to hate the fact that they're convicted by the truth of God's Word because they don't want to change. And so, if you go to John, and you go to chapter 15, and you begin in verse 18, Jesus told us this was going to happen before it ever happened. John 15, beginning in verse 18, listen what he said. Exactly. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, if you were like the world, if you just agreed with the world, the world would love you. It would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore, therefore the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. So how do we know that a person really has been saved and is really a part of the body of Christ? Well, evidence number one will be that when the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in that person's heart, he's going to bring them into agreement with the whole truth of the word of God that he breathed. Now, my humble question to you this morning is this. Gently, Has that ever happened to you? Did the events of that blessed Easter morning, the resurrection of Christ and his conquering of sin and death, has that transforming effect affected you? Did Easter really change you? Because scripture is clear that if we ever hope to enter the kingdom of God, that has to happen in our lives. Now, next week, we're gonna talk about what that transformation, when, when you come into agreement with the word of God What's that going to look like, lived out? What's a Christian's life going to look look like? We are taught that once a person is saved and receives the Holy Spirit, he's going to use this word to transform your life into a new creation. And we're going to look and see what that looks like, lived out in everyday practical examples. And I hope that you will consider joining us for that. I hope I haven't hurt anybody's feelings today. I hope this was received in a love that it was intended. But I will just say this in closing. You know, you can call people haters and whatever you want to call them, but the greatest hate in the world would be to have somebody that you know and love living a way that you know the Bible says is going to end in their destruction and not have the love to at least tell them, to at least share with them, to at least warn them of what scripture says. That's true hate. Don't let the world turn it around. You know, be gentle, be kind, be nice, be humble, but you got to be truthful. And you got to speak what God's put in our heart because that's the truth that the scripture says is the only way that we or any of our loved ones are ever going to enter the kingdom of God. I pray that's touched your heart today. Would you bow with me and I'll close us with prayer. Father God, thank you for loving us so much that no matter what we've done, how long we've done it, who we've been in the past, whatever, you will offer us this free gift of salvation if we will turn our lives from our old self, and allow you to put us to death and grant us your gift of salvation to change us and make us a new creation. I thank you that the scripture says that any who will may come and drink of this water. Jesus used it as the water that spills uh, uh, spills up in a person's life and brings eternal life. Well, they'll never thirst again for, for righteousness, for holiness, for truth, for fellowship with you. Father, I just pray that through your word, through your spirit, to your glory, you'd touch people's hearts, you'd mend them, you'd heal them, you'd bless them, you'd reveal yourself and glorify yourself, and you'd bring the peace to this world that you sent Jesus to give us. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you guys for joining us this morning. I pray you be blessed.